0: Welcome to Choreographing the City, morning conversations part of the artistic residency of choreographer and Teatro Mundi fellow Dr. Adesola Akinley, hosted by Professor Gedimina Surbonas at MIT's Art, Culture and Technology program and supported by MIT Center for Art, Science and Technology. Akinley's residency explores emerging lexicons across dance making and city making through Choreographing the City. In this podcast, Akinley and Urbonas are joined by guests in a series of eight morning conversations. In this sixth episode, we discuss agency, logic of place, entanglement, and the demonic with philosopher Scott L. Pratt, professor of philosophy and director of graduate studies at the University of Oregon, author, co-author, or co-editor of seven books and various articles, co-founder and past president of the Josiah Roy Society, and past president of the Society for the Advancement of American Philosophy.
1: So I appreciate the opportunity to talk a bit about my work, particularly Native Pragmatism and the Logic of Place. I think Adesholo is going to start with a little overview to sort of set up that conversation.
2: Yeah. So Dr. Pratt and I have had a pre-conversation and we've got a little bit of choreography that we're doing in with our words. I'm going to start off by giving a bit of a thread or an overview of our conversation so far so that we can move into the next one connected to those so our first conversation was with Dr. Ellie Krosgrove, who's an engineer. Part of the conversation, we talked about the idea of discovery. And that was our opening conversation. So that the notion that we would be discovering new ideas and how we relate ourselves to discovery was kind of a nice starting point. And from that, we talked a little bit about power and the power over something and the power to do something and, and how that fits with this idea of discovery and new ideas but also how that fits with design and engineering and part of that was this idea of moment in engineering moment is force at a distance or how weight is distributed and in dance I'm interested in moment as this nowness that dance can create in time so we finish around this poetics of encountering weight through dance being in the moment of weight moving through to engineering where weight meets at different distances to design the, the structure of something and also seeing discovery as where weight or power is often placed. That led us to a thought that there's a kind of preciseness that engineers and architects might be engaging with then our next conversation was with Diane McIntyre. And we kind of carried on from that idea of preciseness, not looking at dance and choreography as an opposite to preciseness, but that choreography has a different kind of preciseness. Through talking about that, we started to talk about the idea of spontaneous composition that Diane's work can be described as. In other words, creating a responsiveness that isn't prescribed but is precise in how the dancers are going to interpret or move together. And Diane also talked a little bit about an upcoming book that has a chapter about her work with Judson Church and that idea of improvisation. And then we went to to Richard Sennett who spoke to us about the period of time when he was a musician and he worked with Judson Church. We didn't know that those two things were going to happen but that was a really nice carrying on. Uh, through. He was talking to us about that point in time when he was a musician with Judson Church because he was looking at the idea of how you share process outside your field. Uh, The rigor or the resistance in, in making art is part of the idea of crafting, how that is translated when you're trying to open up that practice, for instance. Also, there was also something important about the idea of how you bring people with you in your creative process and that at a certain point your creative process either becomes exclusive to the people that have come on that journey with you and it's possible that it's no longer as accessible as it began because it's been in a process which led us to this a little bit of uh, later talking actually about The idea of art being immersive or art also creating a space that helps you engage with it, and then it becomes educational. But it resonates with what we're about to talk about in that how do things that we're in and with, the places that we're in, how do they speak back to us? Then we spoke to Dr. Mazio, and some of the things that she talked about around embodiment, and embodiment being how you relate to and create relationship. And then our last talk with Hufanga Dr. Mahina, and he was talking a lot about connectedness and separatedness, so the intersectionality of life, that we're constantly connecting and separating, that all things stand in a constellation or an eternal relationship with each other. So there's this, there are constant relationships being made. He talked about reality in terms of reality being the pattern of everything, including self, and that if one is sort of stepping out of re- reality, it would happen through seeing yourself as permanently separated from everything else and not part of this ongoing connection and separation. And that when when one when that happens, one imagines a kind of authority over reality that can lead to political environmental quite problematic situations so this sense of of everything being connected but also separating and being in in relationship with each other which leads to dr pratt's notion of the logic of place in other words as we're seeing these these interrelational intersections As we're looking at how we, for instance, with Daya creating this sort of environment, the choreography is almost creating the environment for the responsiveness of the dance to happen. Richard Sennett's talking about, does a space need to speak back to how it talks back, back and forth between the participants and the art? So the logic of place It would be really great if you could say a little bit about the logic of place as as it fits with these notions of interaction, transaction, and co-creation that all of the conversations have led us to.
1: Thank you. Thank you for the overview, too, since I didn't have the privilege of hearing those earlier conversations. This is really helpful uh, as stage setting. In a a work quite some time ago now called Native Pragmatism, I argued that American philosophy, or put another way, European-American thought, was not simply descended from European thought, but rather, as it often is presented. Normally, the thought that's that's sort of talked about in university, the way that ordinary folks uh, carry on their lives is attributed to a line of thinking that developed in in European philosophy and culture and was relocated to the Americas. In native pragmatism, I argued that that was certainly true that there was an influence from European thought, But that indigenous thought, the thought encountered among people native to North America, played a role in how European Americans came to think. And I think central to that influence was a recognition of something that we currently call place, um, though it was a kind of more complex notion that involved boundaries and activity and so on. When Europeans arrived in Massachusetts in particular, the Europeans encountered a variety of indigenous nations who had a refined sense of place. Europeans encountered this and in many ways didn't understand it, but came to learn about it. And in the process of doing so began to change the character of how they thought in particular about community life and solving problems around them. And the the last speaker, whose name I, I still don't have written down, Um, in this series talked about separation and connection. Um, The key notion in Indigenous conceptions of place was that places are separate, separate from each other and yet connected, and that problems that emerge, encounters that happen between places, happen across boundaries, and these boundaries have a particular kind of character. So I dubbed this relation the logic of place thinking about logic as, as a, an American philosopher at the beginning of the 20th century thought of it as a systems of order. So logic means systems of order or the science of order, not simply talk about formal language systems or about relations, but about how experience gets ordered. And a logic of place suggests that experience is ordered not by universal principles, but rather by in a sense, practical principles that have to do with where you are. I just had a, a, an argument with a colleague, actually, a couple of days ago about our assessment of sort of current problems in North America. And his claim was that the solution to the problems is a kind of cosmopolitanism. We could solve our problems if we just gone on a kind of cosmopolitan outlook. And we recognized that people were more like us than different from us. And in this conversation, it became clear that there was something missing in that solution. In particular, what was missing was a recognition that people are located, they are parts of places. Uh, Put another way, everyone's from somewhere and that coming from somewhere necessarily influences who they are and how they interact. And that recognizing that, one has to also recognize that fundamentally, people are not just the same, but they are in fact different, and they're different because they're from different places. They're uh, parts of different communities. They're formed by different interactions or transactions or what what I call intra-actions, after a term from Karen Barad, physicist philosopher who wrote a book called Meeting the Universe Halfway, this idea that people are formed, that that not just people, but the things around us are formed by intra is a really important notion. Interaction means, in effect, interaction within a whole. So to interact with someone, interact with someone, is to be part of something together. But it's to maintain a certain connection and separation at the same time. It's part of a whole, and in that sense is... Connected, but it's also an intra There are differences in play. So, the logic of place, as it was inherited, taken up by European thinkers, who in many ways were simply trying to make it, right? When Europeans arrived in Massachusetts, they were not in a good situation. They didn't know what they were doing, they did not know how to live. They brought seeds, for example, they could not grow where they were living. And they relied a lot on learning across a boundary, linguistic boundary, a spatial boundary, and so on. And in attempting to learn to live here, they also picked up ways to interact across the boundaries. Um, one of the most significant developments in politics in those days was the adoption of Haudenosaunee diplomatic structures as a way of negotiating international treaties. And in fact, there's a lot of literature on how even today's international diplomacy descends from the practices that were learned in negotiating with indigenous people in North America. The, the Haudenosaunee and most of the other nations uh, around the Northeast lived in a world of utter diversity, mutually ununderstandable languages, the need for trade because of the remarkably different environments that each of the nations inhabited and so on, and they had developed ways of negotiating across these vast differences in order to accomplish the things they needed to do. And the, the consequence of this is when the Europeans arrived, they had the resources to deal with Europeans in a way that recognized the notion of place. That is, it recognized that on the ground, there were things that had to be dealt with in particular, but not universally. This led to problems, of course, because uh, ultimately Europeans wanted to think of their treaties as some sort of transcendent universal propositions that weren't bound to particular particulars on the land and so forth. And consequently, conflict emerges and so on. But always there was a stream of people who were learning from indigenous people and learning how to negotiate um, these boundaries. In the end, just to sort of summarize that what I take to be the key point. Europeans learned from this notion of place about how difference can coexist. They didn't often uh, live according to those principles, but they did. And part of the reason it worked, how part of the reason that difference could flourish, was because uh, the logic of place gives up on the idea that every place is the same. When my colleague and I were arguing about cosmopolitanism, the problem is that cosmopolitanism is predicated on the idea that boundaries are all in principle crossable but the philosophy of the logic of place argues that boundaries are not universally crossable that some actually stand as barriers and should be respected as such now what are the implications of this for um for the creation of a place well, there's another notion in uh native pragmatism that's worth making a a mark by, and that's this notion of the logic of home. The logic of place talks about how differences are negotiated at the boundaries. The logic of home is the idea that each place has its own sort of structure and future, and for Indigenous people, this meant that their homes were challenged, and the logic of home was a resource used to adjust the the place to deal with the fact of uh, settler colonialism, invasion, and ultimately genocide. The notion of the logic of home is how one can organize one's place in a way that it will not only survive, but that it will grow. And this introduces a second notion, in addition to the notion of home, the notion of purpose or a future. In indigenous conceptions of home are not simply about maintaining and surviving, but seeing a future of a certain sort. In a certain way, indigenous homes are more than just places, sort of neutral, passive places where stuff goes on, but rather are themselves purposive agents. They have a future that the people who are part of that, the humans that are part of that, participate in, but so do all the other beings that. Uh, live in that place and participate in the organization of that home. When I completed Native Pragmatism, one of the things that I hadn't addressed, uh, but that was pretty apparent, and then in the work since then I have addressed, is that places are proposive; They have futures. And indigenous conceptions of individuals, which include not just humans, but uh, beyond human individuals as well, are organized not only in terms of preservation, but rather in terms of futures. And this has various names. In most English translations, it refers to something called power. But what power is, is a, a kind of motive force, a direction uh, toward the future, a way of acting to realize a future. Now, you might say that's a very human notion. and Put as purpose it is. But indigenous conceptions of power, sometimes called Arenda or Wakanda or Wakan, are all conceptions of how a thing realizes itself, how it has a future. That notion of power is then balanced in the context of place, where place amounts to the relations in terms of which that motive force can be realized. Uh, Vine Deloria Jr., who's a famous indigenous philosopher who passed away in 2004, wrote a book called Power and Place. I strongly recommend it to anyone who's thinking about notions of place. The argument in Power and Place is that we need to understand not just people, but all beings as beings who are at once a motive force, a sense of direction of, future directedness in relation to all the other persons who are future directed. So come to call this in a, a paper from 2005 or six, agent ontology. And agent ontology starts with the claim that everything is an agent or part of an agent. And being an agent is to act with a purpose or to act with a future. So everything is an agent or part of an agent and to be an agent is to act with a future or towards a future. Now, this is a very uh, recognized sort of notion in at least North American indigenous traditions. It gives a way to think about how human beings interact with their environments, right? human beings interact with animals, and ecosystems, and lands, and so forth. But it's a hard one for Westerners to get hold of. There's been a, a good deal of work on agency in Western philosophy. Most recently, people like Bruno Latour, you may be familiar with, and his notion of the actor network theory. There's work by a group of philosophers and social theorists called the New Materialists, who have conceptions of agency. What's different between indigenous agency and agency in the context of these Western concepts is that in these Western concepts, only humans have futures, only humans have purposes. In indigenous conceptions, everything has futures. For the conception of place that I talked about in native pragmatism and which adishola has been thinking about in terms of the city and the relation to dance, the important thing to note is that agents are not just the humans, but the other beings who are present, including importantly, the land itself. This parceled land, that built environment are also participants in the intra that make the place. And the consequence of this, if you think about it, is that it has to change at least how you address the action of making a place, right? The role of humans, not just in sort of ordinary to and from the market stuff, but in ways in which we want to embody uh, meaning in a place, has to happen in a way that recognizes the intraactive character of that construction. And so I'll stop there for a second and see if Adishola wants to add anything, because we've talked about this before.
2: Yeah, I wanted to say that I think what you're saying is beautiful, obviously, that's why <laughs> I really love the, the things that you're saying about uh, logic of place and logic of home. I sort of reach that through dancing. So when I dance, I feel as if I'm in relationship with the ground, the gravity, everything around me is a part of the dance. So my, my self-dancing is beyond my skin. It's the moment of everything, which is what I was saying about nowness in a sense. And so the idea that you're saying of things of having an agency is what holds the dance beyond my body so that as I'm interacting with the space or the mute and the music and the other dancers and the breath that's in the, the space where we're dancing and the gravity and the textures of the floor and the textures of the walls, all of those things come together to make what dance is. And in those moments, you become aware of the fact that you are a part of something and not something in something, which how your work has resonated in what I do with the dance.
1: Mm-hmm. I just wanted to not only acknowledge the position that you've just uh, articulated, but I'd, I'd like to put in a word for the, in a sense, the, the key non-dancers, right? Who are nevertheless a part of that interaction that's, that is dancing. Um, I do some work on music, and and similar things can be said about musical performance, right? One needs to not just take into account the, the immediate things about about dance or musical performance. One needs to recognize the way in which this resonates kind of literally in in the soil and the, the constructions and so forth around, and it's in doing that that one gets this kind of scope and impact of performance and i i sometimes when when talking to musicians in particular they oftentimes they're practical practicing musicians who are interested in you know doing a performance and successfully getting invited back and so forth and all of that, that's true but they sometimes forget that there's a resonance in the art that's actually reconstructive of the place right so the place changes in the context of that performance not just for the audience but for all the things there And the consequence is that music, and I think dance, do something, not just in a passing sense, but in a persisting sense. They change the future of the place in certain ways. I I wanted to amplify that point because I think it's really important to note. If you recognize that all the things around are players in the performance, then you can recognize that that the ramifications of a performance go on much further than just the 30 minutes you're doing something.
2: That resonates a little bit with Dr. Mahan as you were referring to earlier, right. he's talked around the idea of sort of seeing things four dimensionally with the temple element as well. I think when I've done, I do a lot of site specific work and there's this sense that you've also created where dance has been and you create a change in the space and the community that dance has been there. It reminds me of a particular moment when I was making a work in a, a sunken garage. The more that we danced there, the more that the cat that normally walked through there became aware of us until the cat sort of changed its way of walking through because it knew, it knew. oh, this is when those these people have come and wow. leave dance here. It just felt as if the cat itself had a different relationship with the space, having shared it with us those times while we... Created movement there but we also talk a little bit about I was calling it demonic like the land having a character um, and I use the word demonic from Catherine McKittrick's book Demonic Grounds Black Women and the Cartographies of Struggle and how she's talking again about a sort of temporal location being a part of the moment of a spatial one I told the story of uh, being in Piccadilly. As I was uh, thinking about McKittrick's work, uh, she talks about Sarah Barthman, who was an artist from South Africa. She was born in 1789, and she came to England and also worked in France. She was put on display. So although she was performing, people came to see her black female body. And she was also rented out for parties where she'd come and perform and people could actually touch her. The prospect of her, what she was doing in in Europe was this person to be displayed. And in fact, after she died, she was in a museum for many years and she didn't actually, she wasn't actually properly buried until 2002. When I was reading about her, I realized that she lived and worked around Piccadilly, which is a central place that I walk through to go to my dance classes. And my dance classes are very informed by her body. So as a sort of Black dancer, people often um, describe my my body in terms of the way way her body was described, which is looking a lot at the butt and that it's not, not a European body. So her life has had an impact on mine, but then finding out that in this place that I normally walk through to go to my ballet classes, that's where she actually lived and walked as well. So as I walk on that pavement in that place she she's been there as well so there's this another layer of of our crossings so I went there to try and find the actual uh, theatre that she worked at and as I walked around Piccadilly I was looking around and someone said to me namaste and I said okay and and he said that isn't that what they say where you're from and I said no I'm from here and carried on walking and then it turned out that where that person was standing he was giving out leaflets and wanting to talk to people so he was trying to start conversations was actually outside what used to be the building that she was there so I walked back and he saw me again and, and as an explanation he said oh you didn't look like you were from here because you were sort of looking around and it was part of this thing that there's a there's a way to be in that space. And I was breaking the way to be in that space by looking around. And I said, no, actually, I'm, I'm from here. And I walked off. But there started to become these sort of layers in history. And actually, Diane McIntyre is another speaker and is here too. When I told her that story as well, she said, oh, actually, I've had an experience of of, of uh, being not present and be yet present in that same space. What McKittrick is talking about is that that becomes... Demonic because Piccadilly it means something different to me than the most of the people there. Piccadilly means Sarah Bartman's place when most people walking through there aren't thinking that. So I become possessed by what that place means that isn't necessarily visible to everybody else. And that there are layers of that with everyone as, as they're making a kind of logic or a sense or a place, placing themselves where they are that we're all possessed by these different histories and moments in time that create meaning for where we are. Kittrick is talking about the idea that some of those meanings aren't aren't recognized and you become almost geography-less but I, I said it was almost like I was a, a sort of out-of-placeness of me and Dr Pratt said if you say out-of-placeness I'll definitely respond to that
1: <laughs> yes because uh uh this is part of that conversation i had with another colleague there is no such thing as being out of place i mean one is going there is there is no being which is not in a place but there's something else going on and i spent some time looking at mckittrick's work on this book uh, demonic grounds and she defines the demonic in a way that's worth noting and i think gets it exactly what Shola was saying she says this the demonic, then, is a non-deterministic schema. It is a process that is hinged on a uncertainty and non-linearity because the organizing principle cannot predict the future. So it's an indeterminate space, which is precisely what a boundary is, a boundary between things, the present and the past, between one place and another. Um, I use in my logic last the example of a boundary to illustrate that when you're at one what happens next is indeterminate that is it's not you cannot derive what happens next from a boundary because a boundary is logically inconsistent I won't drag you through the details of the proof but essentially a boundary means that the way forward is contradictory and the only way to go forward is if you're a person on a boundary, is to make a choice, to do something. It's, as McKittrick said, the organizing principle can't predict the future. You can't derive the future in any formal way from the present. Things are open, and being open makes you and the situation subject to influences, right, to make be made sense of. And I I had not known about McKittrick's book until Adeshola pointed it out. And I think it's it's fascinating. She gets the notion of the demonic from Sylvia Winter. Sylvia Winter is a theorist of what's being called by some anyway, Afro-pessimism. The idea that futures are sort of nonlinear extensions from current conflict and purpose, basically. So I think that what the demonic gives us actually is this idea of spaces where other things can be influential, right? So, so as opposed to following the day, the walk that Arashola was on, if it wasn't for the fact of the demonic, that is this break that allowed for other things to have a role, it would have just been a walk down the street. There's another theorist, uh, Karen Barad, I mentioned earlier, B-A-R-A-D, um, has talked about the notion of entanglement. Uh, the idea of entanglement, she draws from uh, quantum physics. But it's basically the idea that things that appear in spatiotemporal temporal terms are separate and look like discrete units can be entangled by these nonlinear relations so that you can have, and, and this is demonstrable in physics, instantaneous connections between things where stuff sort of breaks out of the normal place boundaries and crosses them to connect things. And I think that that's partly partly what the story is about, but it's also partly what happens when agency is in play, right? Because agency is a process of working toward a future, but where that future is not determined, right? The thing, about, the thing about agency is we don't know for sure we're going to accomplish what we set out to accomplish, but we know what we'd like to see. We, we're oriented toward a future, and we're, in a sense, on the precipice of that, and What's going to happen is uncertain, but we know, if we're thinking about it, that we actually have a hand in it. We also know that a lot of other stuff has a hand in it as well. And consequently, this notion of the demonic, a very insightful way to think about what it's like to be an agent, because it is, as she says, a non-deterministic schema. To have power does not mean that you have the answer, does not mean you have the future in hand. It means you have the potential for a future, the possibility of a future, a kind of modal relation to the future. So I I think that's fascinating. The other thing that's worth noting is that when you make a choice as an agent and take an action, that choice, that action is irrevocable, right? So there's a way in which the past is what it is, but the future is open so that, you can't, when you, when you say something, you can't take it back. When you break a glass, you don't put it back together. The character of agency is such that there are irrevocable things about it when you take an action, but those actions are towards something that puts you in all of these other relations with things, which is one of the reasons that your decisions as an agent matter and not just yours. Architects who build built environments are establishing concrete, literally, frameworks for for agency that can't be taken back. The future will look different when a building is constructed in a certain way. Likewise, the land, the species that are present in a community and so forth, all are making fundamental contributions to the structure of the stuff that you're negotiating. Uncertainty is what you get with agency because you're in a complex environment interacting with all sorts of other things who have their own interests too. I wanted to ask a question. Yeah. So I read the description of choreographing the city. And, and I think this is a fascinating idea. And I wanted show to talk a little bit about what that program would look like. If you were to come to my city and say, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to change it through dance. We're going to choreograph this city What is the program? What what is it that you would set out to do? How would this be accomplished? How is dance, practically speaking, constructive of of the future of my city? Because I'm fascinated by this sort of thing. As I say, I do musical performance stuff. I know what those folks have to say. I'm really interested in what dancers would say.
2: I think one of the things that I'd question a little bit is the dancing is a process not the product of the idea so it, it wouldn't be so much choreographing your city but rather understanding your city through a somatic physicalized engagement with it and then the knowledges that come from being a part of that dancing with the city so getting back to this idea of the agents, the the agents of the city coming together with your particular agency in movement and body rather than encountering interaction through other means of communication, often those would be verbally based ones or visual ones, but with this kind of somatic engagement, that that to some extent that in itself gives you a new understanding, a new coming together with the space. And so it changes the space that you have come to an underst- saying understanding, not that I'm suggesting that we need to know each other, but that there's a coming together of place that involves your physicality and the place, all the agents of that place's mm-hmm. physicality for a moment, changes all those involved at a resonance, at a vibrational level, maybe, but it also might change how we continue to see those spaces because we've seen them differently. And maybe changes, well, on a sort of spiritual level, maybe the, the spaces themselves also see humans differently too from having done that. So I guess the more grounded answer is that it's, it's, a, it's about being in process with something rather than necessarily seeing change as an end point. We're seeing change as everything being in movement with each other.
1: Can dance be a critical, can you be critical in this choreography? That is, can you challenge sort of the way things are in my city? There are a lot of things I would like to see challenged. Is that part of it or is it more about harmonizing the city?
2: Well, I think that your very presence can challenge, but I wonder if Diane McIntyre, who's here, and is an elder of mine, might have something to say about that.
3: Yes, so that is a fabulous question uh, from Dr. Pratt. It would be wonderful, this is a more practical way of thinking. It would be wonderful in in city planning, maybe if there's a part of a city or suburb that's getting ready to be renovated or brand new, if visual and performing artists could be in the planning because we have a way of thinking differently than the people who wanna make sure there are sidewalks so people can go to their local pharmacy or their drugstore, things like that. So in a wider way, maybe the artists could be part of planning for bringing some of these philosophies and this understanding would be really important in the future of the landscape of our cities. I have one other comment I wanted to make. It's about the history that you brought in. When I walk into a space in a studio, it can be an old studio. If that studio has has brilliant artists who have worked there, maybe from the 1930s, 40s, 50s, whatever. They could be opera singers, dancers, whatever. When I walk into that studio, my creativity soars whatever they did in that space is still there. And it inspires me. Sometimes I don't know that until afterwards. Sometimes I don't know. One time we also did a performance in a place that I'm not going to tell you where it was, but it was a a theater that we found out later was built around a burial ground of indigenous people. Mm -hmm. And that had been found out later when we're getting, when we knew that we had a prayer before our performance mm-hmm. to offer our presentation to those ancestors and while i was performing after my performance i just broke down in tears mm-hmm. and expressed i felt that i had that they had come and were with me during the performance and that some kind of healing had happened during all of us who were pre, So what you've said, that's m- what you've said, I've lived it. And to hear it mm-hmm. from an academic, it was very powerful.
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm really glad to hear that. When I talk about this stuff, I get, I mean, more than just you um, mm-hmm. saying that they've had an experience where the place has had an effect uh, yeah. because of its history. And just to one, I suppose, because I'm an academic, one last reference, Vine Deloria, Jr., in his book, God is Red, writes about the notion of sacred spaces, just like you, you mentioned, and mm-hmm. says that this is, and indigenous people recognize that this is the character of places, that some of them are sacred in the sense of having this long running impact on the people who move through it. Mm-hmm. So I, I am, I'm delighted to have a story of, of that being true. Uh, yeah. Thank you.
4: When you pose the question about the purpose of, of research and choreographing the city as it relates to Adeshala's residency and the class. My research question, or my premise, you know, to, uh, to embark this journey and this adventure was really thinking of uh, such practices like Juan Down, who is a artist and also a former fellow at CABS, uh, as he was working at MIT in the beginning of the 70s. And as part of his research, he spent with Yanomami people more than three years in Amazonas. And he tried to capture those daily choreographies, those invisible actions, and what he described as invisible architecture, you know, he tried to capture that through his drawings, uh, through his camera, uh, never successfully, uh, because it is impossible to capture the invisible architecture. We, we can only uh, gather that uh, those bits uh, by the traces, you know, uh, and with the help of different media, and, uh, and all these different media is not a representation of the invisible architecture, but it is a retranslation to the a tangible form you know whether it is a drawing or whether it is a, a video in the case of clownness work and research so uh, so for me choreographing was was that practice that goes uh, beyond architecture or that uh, in a way we can also say that radicalizes architecture as a project on the one hand and uh, we definitely need that radicalization of architecture not only that that we are you know that this discussion is taking place in the school of architecture and planning at MIT but also uh, but also just uh, seeing uh, at all kind of crises that we are part of you know whether we're talking about the climate crisis economic crisis human crisis and the big part of that is because of the, uh, not think limits to growth, right? So, because not understanding that there are limits to growth, you know, I'm referring to this book uh, of the 70s, Limits to Growth. you know. So, and then speaking about the city, of course, I'm very much also interested in, in the idea where the uh, boundaries between the urban and the rural uh, are also being redrawn, as we have uh, with the recent, uh, you know, even attempt of Ram Kuhas, you know, where he's uh, saying that, you know, the future of the rural uh, or the future is in the rural on one hand. On the other hand, we see that the rural comes to the urban environments and we uh, resolve our daily economies, our uh, well-beings, embracing the rural. And perhaps that's where also the core of this entanglements taking place, right? So uh, as urban dwellers, we are so much dependent on the rural. But where is that rural? You know, is it in the outskirts of uh, outskirts of Boston, or it is in the outskirts of Hanoi, or it is outskirts of, of Beijing? You know, so we dependent on all these like worldly, uh, worldly rurals. You know, wherever they are. You know, so so uh, in the core for me of choreographing the city is uh, is really understanding those interdependencies.
0: podcast is possible thanks to the support of the center for art science and technology at mit and the art culture and technology program and is done in collaboration with teatro mundi if you want to know more about the class the program and or the artists follow us on instagram at choreographing the city underscore mit or follow the links provided in your podcast platform thank you very much for listening